Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to the festive season, you can't beat John Lewis, can you, Charlotte? John Lewis is Christmas in the UK, isn't it? And you can buy everything under one roof. Although we're not going under one roof this time, we're going online. But I do love the fact that I can buy everything from house decorations to stuff for the children, my husband, me, my beauty products, everything. It's all there. It's also particularly good for fashion right now. They have the best cosy wear out there. If you are looking to snuggle up over the coming season, there is cashmere, there is loungewear, there is something for everybody. They've also just launched their 12 Days of Christmas dressing campaign. They've collaborated with some of our favourite high street retailers from Hush to Whistles for an exclusive capsule collection of 12 amazing outfits. And there are sparkles for Christmas as well as great loungewear. There's basically something for everyone. Love it. And I don't know about you, but I will definitely be getting dressed up at home because it's Christmas and it wouldn't be Christmas without some sparkle. They're also doing these amazing virtual styling sessions, which you can do from the comfort of your own home. How does that work? They are. You can speak to a John Lewis stylist over video call. They will help you go through existing pieces in your wardrobe and help you find new ways to wear them and it's all for free for free for free amazing well with all that and free delivery over 50 pounds and free click and collect on orders over 30 pounds i can honestly say it's never made more sense to shop at john lewis so get on over there johnlewis.com i'm off see you later see you bye Hello, I'm Georgie Corridge-Cole, founder and editor of Sheerlux, and welcome to this In Conversation With podcast. Today, I'm joined by Claire Valetti, VP International of messaging platform Snap, or Snapchat as you may know it, used by more than 80% of 13 to 24-year-olds. That's more than Instagram and Facebook. Claire is the most senior member of Snap outside of the U.S., With a career spanning businesses such as O2 and Facebook, Claire came out of maternity leave with her third child straight into this global pandemic. Today, she joins me to share what it's like to be a woman in this industry, how COVID has impacted her daily life, how to motivate a young workforce, and how to juggle life between being a mother of three and having a very successful career. Claire, it's lovely to speak to you today. You were just saying you feel like it's Really, just like any other day, which is crazy because you're at home. Exactly. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I just feel like I'm busier than ever, which is bizarre because I don't have the usual kind of travel commitments or the commute to work. And I'm obviously not having to think about my work wardrobe so much. So the truth is, I don't know where my time's going, but it definitely feels the day seems to be more action packed than ever. Does your work wardrobe keep you awake at night? That's not on my list of questions, but you've said it, so I'm going to ask you now. Do you know, I've really realised how much I miss, particularly coming back from maternity leave, where I haven't worn like my traditional work wardrobe for a while. And I think it is part of, I think 
you know, there's always challenges being a working mum. But one of the best bits about wearing a working mum, I remember I heard a, um, another business leader talk about this years ago, I get to put my silk blouses on, like I just <laughs> wouldn't wear that around the house for obvious reasons. So it's those little things that you yeah. start to realise, actually, it's almost like my uniform, I put my face on, like I, I, I get ready to go in that office. And that work wardrobe, is part of it and you miss that really miss it I just yeah. it's me I keep my maiden name for work Claire Velotti but my married name's Nuriala and I always think I've got my work I'm back being just me and not having all the other commitments and yeah. I go in and I'm Claire Velotti the businesswoman yeah it, it, and you're it, playing just, a role you get to play a different role it's such a hundreds. it's such a good point did you always want to be a career woman I mean you're the most senior member of SNAP <laughs> outside the US like that's major I'm in awe did you always want to climb the ladder and have a successful career? No, I absolutely hate when I hear other business people say this, when they say, oh, it sort of just happened. The truth is it sort of did just happen. Um, I would say I, I was raised by working parents. They have their own business. I think what that gave me was this work ethic and determination, but it wasn't a traditional kind of go through the corporate ladder and, you know, run a business. I'd never had that role model to me. What I had role model to me was just work ethic, running your own business and just doing what it takes to succeed. But I suppose that was my norm. And the other part of that was because it was my parents' own business, my parents were very hands-on parents you know we never had a nanny or anything like that they were able to do their job and blend in parenting at the same time so it was really what was was their business they have um, a bed and breakfast in king's cross from Mm. literally from the age of when i was two so 40 years ago and you know they were really successful they took risks they expanded it um, and that was what was my norm and what I, I saw. So now I'm a parent, you start to think about and reflect on like what shapes you. Is it nurture over nature? And mm. I do think them role modeling their experience really has shaped me a lot. Mm. So I definitely didn't see a path to to being in the corporate world and kind of going up the ladder. It's just something I hadn't seen. So I don't think it was something that was on my kind of I, I visioned would happen. So what was the journey then? So you grew up in, in this bed and breakfast, you lived and breathed it. So by osmosis, yeah, you you obviously took that in. I so believe in nurture as well. What were your steps then, like education-wise and career-wise? I don't know if you've read that book. I think it's What Rich Dads Teach You That Poor Dads Don't. I'm not sure. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yes, that's the one. My God, I quote that book all the time. Do you know it's not in print anymore? Oh, really? My husband made me read it when I was, I think, 20. And it stuck with me so much. You know the quote I always quote, which is, if you don't run your own business, you work for someone else until June every year. And the other quote that stuck with me was that your property is your biggest liability, not your biggest asset. And I always remember those two. It's a great book. Yeah, I always think about if I want to change cars, I always think, oh, that's not a good investment. I, like <laughs> yeah. Certain things. But I think the point of that book is probably an example of, you know, how I was raised in the sense that, and I know it's this poor dad, but the truth is it's not poor, that like middle class dad, I think it's fair to say. And because my parents had really built their business and made it for themselves, they had the mentality, oh, I don't want you to do what we've done, like working seven days a week and had to sacrifice things. We want you to have more what they thought, you know, the corporate. And so they kept teaching me that this just philosophy of you work hard, you do well, you climb up the ranks. So that was almost what they instilled in me in a bizarre way, more than being entrepreneurial, because mm, they wanted me to do something. They almost saw the sacrifices they were making was for me to have something better. I often feel the same about my own children. Don't run your own business. It's a nightmare. It's a yeah. thankless task. <laughs> but you know, you know better than I do. The sat- and I, I saw it with my parents. I think we often see the all the, the glamour and the exciting parts of being an entrepreneur. Mm. But there are so many sacrifices that happen 
have to be made. Mm. And for me, I think they wanted me to have something different. Actually, that the life they've had in the business is extraordinary. And I actually envy that. Mm. But equally, I feel very lucky that they gave me a path to have choices and get to do you know, what I want to do. So you went to university, you did a degree in politics. Where did you read politics? At Nottingham, which was great. And you left with your degree. And what was your plan? What were you planning to do with that? I think this is, again, I've been really reflecting a lot. I'm about to have my birthday and you start to kind of reflect on your life. And I didn't necessarily have a plan. The problem you have, unless you follow a traditional path and you go, I'm going to do, you know, become a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. It's actually hard to know what you want to do. And I think that's fundamentally a challenge for... And a problem with the education system, isn't it? 100%. So... I went to Nottingham and then it was almost you get the graduate schemes kind of thrown at you, but coming to you in the careers evenings. So the natural inclination is to apply for graduate schemes. But I had done some work experience. I was very fortunate to have done some work experience at Leah Burnett's, which is a creative agency, when I was about 16. I mean, I wouldn't say I did loads of work, but I got to shadow two creative directors on the Max Factor account. And I thought, (laughs) wow, this is so exciting. And it it, it was a time when actually they were full service agents. So you didn't have the division between media and creative. And I thought, wow, I could, it was very, you know, it felt very people orientated, fast moving, creative, Mm. exciting. And I thought, wow, I could do something like that. So when I was at uni, I think that's what I was drawn to, because that, to be frank, was what I sort of had seen it and thought that sound, that was good. So did you apply to Leo Burnett? Were they an option? So I did the usual, as I mentioned, the graduate schemes. I got knocked back for all of them. I got quite far down the line for a banking opportunity in investment investment banking, but didn't get any of them. And then a friend of mine said to me, I think it was at the back in the day, was it Evening Standard or Metro? In the back, there was like these ads for media agencies, because it was at that moment in time where the ad agencies were splitting out Mm -hmm. and making that separation. And someone said to me, look, you should look at this thing called media agencies. So off I went and applied to some media agencies. And there wasn't a formal grad scheme then. They they were new businesses, essentially. And I remember going for an interview at what was Mindshare that became my first official job. (laughs) And I got asked, you know, did I use eBay? Had I been on the internet? So it was, you know, in digital media. Did I know this digital media thing was going to be huge and explode? Of course I didn't. But I was like, yeah, I use eBay. Yes, you know. And before I knew it, I had got the job. And I suppose the rest is history. But, you know, when I started, the digital department was small. And, you know, to this day, I don't take for granted that opportunity. Uh, I got lucky. I genuinely did not know. I'd interviewed for TV buying. I'd interviewed for different things. Mm. But I got the digital job. And before I knew it, digital exploded. And, and that absolutely helped accelerate. I took the opportunities. And I always say that to people. You have to take what comes at you. But equally, I had some luck. And I look back at that time with such fondness because I learned so much and had so much fun really disrupting really what was the media industry yeah amazing so that was Mindshare you you then went on to work for O2 did that come next it did indeed I spent 11 years at Mindshare and like I said learned an awful lot and a great thing about working at media agencies is that you work across most sectors and you're helping solve clients marketing challenges and you know my my role was to solve it using digital media so really fascinating but I I quickly realized well not quickly after 11 years that I was fascinated (laughs) with getting closer 
to working in a business that you were solving that business's challenge as opposed to on behalf of a client. And O2 Media was a business that O2 had built, which was essentially an advertising sales business, i.e. they were using understanding O2 uh, customers and then allowing brands to, to, to advertise to them using a lot of insights that you could then, like, for example, with Starbucks could send a text message to a relevant customer passing a Starbucks with an offer. And before I knew it, I got approached to be their MD. I remember at the time going, oh my goodness, I'm not ready to be an MD. Oh, they're crazy. And I was just very lucky. There was people there that really believed in me. And to this day, those people are still in my life. And I feel very lucky to, to have them as kind of supporters and cheerleaders. And um, before I knew it, I left to run O2 Media. And it was amazing and very different. I had to take my sort of skills and transfer them. But there was a lot of new skills I had to learn very quickly on the job. And talk to us about, you know, your time at O2 and what that looked like um, and how you started and how you ended. It was quite short lived. I was only there um, for a short period of time because what had happened when I was joining, we were equally planning O2 and some of the uh, some Vodafone and Orange at the time were EE, were planning on creating a joint venture called Weave. So I knew that was going to happen. So when I joined, I remember someone saying to me, you're joining knowing change could be happening. And my answer was, well, I hadn't taken a risk in my entire career for 11 years. It was time to start taking some. And the opportunity was too exciting not to take it, not to leap, even though I was leaping in to a little bit of the unknown uh, mm. in terms of future state. I had a great time, even though it was short lived. I got exposed to how a very large company, traditional company arguably, runs and how they innovate and how they get the balance of kind of traditional managing kind of traditional revenue, which is the bulk of the revenue, as well as innovating and investing in the future. Mm. And I loved it. I got exposed to some amazing leaders. Uh, obviously, Ronan Dunn was the CEO at the time, who's an extraordinary leader. And I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself as a leader. You know, I was coming Such in. Such as. I learned about how to handle pressure, equally how to be transparent and open when you don't know things. As a leader, that's a really hard thing to do to show vulnerability mm. and managing stakeholder management and big organisations. Can we focus on two of those? Firstly, how do you manage pressure? How do you handle pressure? I often talk about this sort of cheerleader community. I think you have to have people in your inner circle that you really trust, not necessarily that even have to be in your industry or in your company. People you can turn to as a sounding board for advice. I'm very lucky to have a great husband, I say most of the time, uh, but he is great. You know, someone I can to lean on when I feel that pressure and say to him, yeah. oh, they're going to fire me. Oh, they're going to. And he's like, oh, my goodness, please stop for a moment <laughs> and keep me rational. Men don't say that, do they? It's a strange thing. It, it's, a, it's quite female, isn't it? Going, oh, my God, it's all going to go wrong. I don't know. I didn't hear many men say that. Maybe they no, just bottle I, it up. I think it's a combination of both. I think maybe a bit more self-belief and bottling it up. I'm yeah. very open and direct and, you know. So I think that helps me, actually, because I'm open. I talk about stuff. I don't hold it in. And I also confront things. I think with experience, you start to learn. If things you've got the pressure and you feel people could be doubting you, rather than letting that sit, I would tackle it and say, this is the things I'm doing. Is there anything else you want from me? As mm -hmm. opposed to sitting back, hoping, oh, they're not happy. I think you've got to tackle things head on. Otherwise, that pressure just builds. Yeah, absolutely. You can't bury them forever, can you? So you believe in a strong support network and that consists of your husband. Do you have a mentor? Did you have them along the way? Were there women whose relationships you kind of cultivated for that purpose? What I found to be really helpful, rather than having a mentor just per se, I think you have to think about what are you trying to, to answer? What are you trying to solve for? So for a period of time, I had a mentor that helped me. I used to believe it or not, in 
the early days, like dread walking the room, like working, you know, like going to, to groups and just saying hi and, and starting that conversation. Yeah. So I got a mentor who was amazing at that. And I used to like literally pick her brains just about how she does oh, it so Oh, pray well. tell. Because however many people you employ, whatever, I, I still think there's something horrendous about sort of working in a room, not knowing anyone in there. I don't know if I'll ever get over that. Do you but... know what the worst thing, actually, Georgia, I would say? It's not knowing. If, it's when you sort of know them, but you don't. And I think yeah. that's worse. because And they're all an having conversations. Yes. They, they're having a much better time without you going and getting involved in that conversation. Exactly. You know what? She gave me the best one. This is a tip that has stayed with me forever. Before joining that group, think about what your exit plan is. So before joining, like mine would be... Oh, I'm good oh, at the exit plan. I'm yeah. not very good at the intro plan. But her point is, if you have your exit plan, which is usually, oh, I forgot, I haven't called the, my husband about the kids to find out about their day, then that takes the pressure off because you've already got your way of getting yourself out of that yes, situation. If it doesn't go to plan, you can yes. get out. Anyway, I'm with you. Someone said to me once, you are, you're very good at your exit. I wish I could exit like you. I just get trapped in the corner and then I am standing there thinking, <laughs> why am I having this conversation all night? So you talked about not always having the answers as a leader that's a really interesting point I think whether you're a manager or a business owner whatever level you know presuming there's a hierarchy in the business that you're in you're expected to have some answers aren't you and and you do feel vulnerable and like you're failing when you don't know them I've definitely got to a point with my team and I'm like I don't know all the answers that's why we're here to discuss it I don't (laughs) profess to have them on date feel free not to disagree with me but it it's a weird thing when you've got people looking at you asking you a question that you can't answer how do you deal with that what advice do you have well I think your point you do have to have the answers a lot of the time otherwise people are going to question why you're there so I think I think you build up your she doesn't know anything she needs to go well there are leaders that will often say to their teams come to me with solutions I don't want the problem and I think Mm. there is something in it that you want to empower your teams to feel they can fight like figure out solutions and not feel scared to give them to you but equally as the leader I think you have a responsibility to help shape and support people in, in solving the challenges they may have in your team so I believe you know I go to meetings and I hope I have enough stock in my role, i.e. people respect what I do and I've done it well enough for a period of time. If the one occasion I don't have the answer, I can say, let me get back to you. I think that earns respect. But if every time I got asked a question clearly, Georgia, and I kept saying, I don't know, I think people (laughs) might start to wonder. But it is hard. I mean, I have a role that spans a lot of different countries and I will get asked very specific questions about a certain partnership in one country. And in some cases, I might say, look, I think it's this, but let me double check because I don't want to provide inaccurate information either. Yeah, you can't be in every bit of detail. It's got to be an assumption that you delegate to someone who does know. Talk to us about Facebook. So you left O2. So your period at O2 was relatively brief due to changes that were going on internally there. You then went to Facebook. How did that role come about surely that felt like the dream and what year were you in then as well so that would have been about 2013 and I got approached they had been looking to hire someone to run part of what they would call like agency partnerships how they partner with agencies I was you know an ideal candidate given the experience I had had really it was an exciting time because I think Facebook was going through an evolution they had about 150 people in the London office at that point in Covent Garden so it was a very different business so my experience of Facebook is very different no doubt to what it looks like today but it was an exciting time it was the first time I'd worked for 
for US tech business. And, you know, to be clear, they're all very different. But, you you know, you just get a sense of how US businesses tend to operate and, and the cultural differences. But like I said, they are different across the industry. So you, you absolutely can't say they're all the same. What is the Facebook culture like? Is everyone on skateboards and drinking smoothies and, you know, doing all these things we expect a tech company to be doing? One thing that I really admire about the tech culture, it's very output driven. And I'd come from an agency, I know too, that's more traditional, Mm. you know, in a sense. And I think it's more about giving your employees autonomy to use their time in, in the way they believe drives the most output. So really empowering it through autonomy. And I think that's a really interesting insight that I learned. Yeah. You know, I'd grown up from parents, you know, own business, some of their uh, employees, you know, cleaning staff may have been on hourly wages. So I was from a world where you, you know, you start at eight, you start work at eight because yeah. that's where you're being paid. So to go from a world where people could come in and they, you know, engineers might start a bit later, but they work very late into the evening and, and just giving people a little bit more of that flexibility of working how they want to work was something it took me a while to get my head around. Mm. I was like, this is different. Like, what are people doing? And I think that's interesting. Of course, there's always the uh, perception, oh, to your point, the scape. You're not the only one. Like, people do make comments like that. And I think the truth is, you know, a lot of these type of companies have done a good job to focus on benefits for employees to keep them highly motivated. And they're very fortunate they're able to do that. So I think um, there is an element of, you know, people are really well looked after from, yeah. from things like benefits and so there is and if there's a ping pong table you know in a meeting room then that creates a culture and a vibe and something that people want to be a part of in a way doesn't it you know it sets the tone of a a different maybe a little bit more of a a fun and informal environment as opposed to more traditional corporate setting and what was going on in the evolution of facebook when you were there i mean it was having an amazing time in 2013 wasn't it it still very much had the lion's share Uh, i'm trying to think where instagram was in 2013 but can you talk to us about i mean we're all fascinated by facebook and the (laughs) size of that business what can you tell us about that stage and what it was going through they had bought instagram but why i was there they bought whatsapp and then instagram was being monetized so why i was there it was taking instagram to brands to get them you know excited about the platform and then video had become more of a kind of mainstream format i.e you know at the time facebook was quite image-based and they were introducing video so that was an interesting time because the industry was changing to a you started to see these these creations of teams of experts who were the experts in online video rather than just linear tv so that probably if i think reflect on it was probably what was the themes that were happening then it was a happy time in your career how long did you spend there i spent two and a half years there and the truth is because snap came calling and it was such an exciting company of what it was doing and the opportunity was just so exciting so i used the word leap and i actually leapt into snap pregnant i always seem to sort of do crazy things in the middle of my maternity pregnancies rather and i joined snap and then two weeks later had a baby so it wow. was a, a, a wild time to <laughs> they obviously the wanted you <laughs> yeah they were amazing, amazing. they're amazing. amazing they waited six months they were launching the business in the uk and they waited six months because i said i wanted to have six months obviously mat leave and they were really patient and really supportive and that for me was the tone of snap from the moment i started and i knew i was in the right place and what was your job title at facebook when you went to snap i was director of agency partnerships and then when i went to snap i I was the UK country manager. Amazing. And talk to us about what it's like working as a woman in technology. Is that a non-point or not? 
I know it's getting more and more common and that that's great. I remember a few years ago, my cousin, a fem- very bright female, quitting her job in publishing to go on an amazing coding course, which was highly sought after. She's had a great career as a result. And it's I think it's such an exciting place to be as a woman. So many opportunities. What's your experience been? I think it would be unfair to say it's sort of a non-point because... I have been very lucky. I've just had the most amazing journey and a snap, if anything, I feel like has championed me being a woman from the moment I'm pregnant. So I've only had a very positive experience being a woman in tech. And, and that wasn't is... a quota thing. That wasn't a, we've got to get women no. in senior level. No, not at all. I mean, there would have been other people they'd have interviewed, to be frank, would have been probably easier to hire because they could have started straight away. And also the business hadn't IPO'd. It was very early stages. We weren't at the stage even thinking like that. It was about thinking about, obviously being inclusive but thinking about just simply right person for the job and that very much is how we operate uh, in a very inclusive environment equally the right person for that role and I would imagine though it may be different if you're not I can't I mean at snap I think we do an extraordinary job if I look at the industry as a whole on tech for engineers there's still a very small proportion that are women the kind of higher ranks so I think that's definitely something that all tech companies are really trying to change but the challenge goes back to what we spoke about earlier on is it's got to start earlier in the journey Mm. in education and Mm. getting girls more into to the point of your cousin you mentioned like coding and and feeling more passionate and leaning in more to the stem subjects that's where it has to start i mean it, it, it kills me when my children come home with french vocab where's the coding that's part of the curriculum and i know it's more and more in schools but it's not it's not being taught in the same way with you know the same amount of urgency my daughter's in year six so we've been looking at secondary schools and we saw I can't tell you how many and, and all types of schools. And it was extraordinary. It felt like when you got to the drama room or you got to anything more on the art side, it was like, wow, like a proud moment to show the art room or the mm. drama room. But you kind of go into the computer room and it's like, oh, here's yes. the computer room. And you walked out. I was astounded by that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And what about... Rising through the ranks in what are, yes, very modern businesses. I actually met someone from HR at Snap at a focus group recently, and I thought she was an amazingly impressive woman. So I know Snap's a pretty progressive business, a very diverse business. But, you know, I know in a lot of the businesses you worked in, there were still a lot of men dominating. You're obviously the most senior person at Snap UK. But do you think you've faced challenges along the way from men at more senior levels than you? When I reflect on my time, I wouldn't say it was during tech. I think it's about, I keep going back to this word inclusivity. 
So an example for me would be, I remember in the early days of my career, back in 2000, so it's not really a tech example, but I'll go on to tech. It, back in 2000, I remember like the thing that would be done would be at lunchtime, people just go to the pub. I'm not a big drinker. I don't want to drink at lunchtime. But you felt this pressure to, to join in and go along and be mm. a team player. So, and I don't think that's about being a woman. I think there's, there's obviously men who don't want to drink at lunchtime. So I think what's happened now is I think we've become a lot more thoughtful and inclusive. An example from a female point of view is even if you do social events, they could often be geared towards, I don't know, go-karting. And I'm generalizing, obviously women do like go-karting, but you know, there is a yeah, lot of women yeah, yeah. that might not want to do that. And yeah. I think sometimes it's the small things that can have a real profound impact of how you feel part of something. And that's the thing I'm starting to really reflect on, making sure when you do things with your team or, or even the language you use in a meeting, that it feels inclusive, that people feel they are able to speak up and, and share their opinions. The great thing about the tech world that I have really found is they really do embrace bringing your authentic self to work. And I know the word authentic, again, gets overused, <laughs> but that's good word. And that's one thing that has always been true to me as a person. So whether I'm a woman or a man, like I have always really been about being authentic. And I think this has come from my parents role modeling, like don't pretend to be someone you're not and just say things how they are. Because there is so much, and I use the word BS, I won't swear, um, in the world that I think being honest and direct at times, if you say it in the right way, I think can really set the right tone and, and drive the right impact. So when I think about tech and why I think I, I've thrived in it, I think they've really appreciated my genuine honesty and directness and it served me really well. And I know not everyone's able to do that. And I think a lot of women do struggle with that. That's never been my struggle. And because of me being so authentic in the way I am, I'm really open about like being a mum isn't a thing I just don't, I don't talk about. I'll say I've got sports day today. I won't be in and I don't apologise for that. I'm really open about the choices I make and I want my teams to see those choices. And do you think you can make those choices because of the level you're at? Or is that something you're open to for women at all levels within in the business? I'm totally open to all levels in the business. I think Amazing. it's about impact and output and having the right approach. I don't and trust believe... in the candidate as well, isn't it? I mean, 100%. I'm a real believer if you've got people that are fulfilled in their lives and happy they are going to be better team members mm. they just mm. are they're, they're going to lean into your business more and act like owners and, and that's mm. what you want from your teams I remember a man saying, I won't name saying I mean we, we couldn't have more women in this firm I mean they, they couldn't do the hours they just couldn't I was like a women are so much more efficient and B, those mothers that, you know, you're saying can't be here because you work all nights and they've got to go home and put their children to bed. They're going to get back to work when they put their children to bed and work way harder than any of you. Plus, they get going in the morning so much quicker, don't they? I've often said this, and I always feel bad on the people that aren't mothers, but I think the mothers in my business are definitely the ones that are some of the most efficient, at least. And it's amazing what we can achieve. I think, I think the thing we do, and I think you don't think about it, but you cut out a lot of... Everyone laughs about with me on email. So I'll always say to people, I love you all. But on emails, I can be a bit short because I'm not going to do always pleasantries in, turn on to, in internal emails. Yeah. I just want to get to the point because all those pleasantries take time. So those small things can drive a lot of impact. Whereas I think people can spend a lot of time. Yes, it's important to culture. But if people really have empathy for each other and respect each other, mm. you can cut out a lot of those small things that mm. actually don't drive impact. 
You talked about honesty, and that's obviously a factor that you value in terms of your leadership skills. What other skills do you have? You obviously have a great work ethic from your parents. What are the other skills in you and the skills in others that you think make them good leaders or that you would encourage people to cultivate? I think humility is really important. And I think it always has been, but I think it's increasingly so. And what I mean by that, sometimes a leader, you can get caught up in being surrounded with, you know, only your directs or the people above you. I think the more you value and understand what everyone in your organization is doing and really understand it so you can really respect it, I think you can make more informed decisions and be a better leader and actually create a far better culture. Mm -hmm. So, and I think it goes back again, my parents, I go back to my parents a lot. They have never thought, even when they became successful, they were better than anyone else. It was very much like we've got a B&B and I laugh because it's a B&B with a lot of bedrooms, but we never refer to it as a hotel. Like, it's just not part of my family's DNA. It's very much about staying true to, you know, we're all just on this earth as people and we're all doing our bits and our bit is equally as important. And I think there's another piece which is really important that you need. And it's different. I, would, I talk a lot about the difference between being a good manager and a leader. Leaders have to be a decisive. They have to set vision. They have to inspire. And that's the bit that is really important, particularly in times like COVID. People need something to, to kind of like hang on to, like to, they know where we're going. And a yeah. leader sets that agenda and sets the tone of where we go as a team, as a company. Yeah. Talk to me about motherhood. So you've recently had number three. Well, that must have been the beginning of this year. She's turned one. So yeah. Oh. And yes, it was this time last year. Oh gosh. And what do you have? Three daughters. Oh, wow. So you've got an 11 year old and you've got a one year old. And one that's about to turn five. Oh, so you've, you've got to live in nanny. You've actually done pretty well out of that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think when you, I heard you just say fun household, my husband might not say so fun. He's like, I'm surrounded by women all day long. And how have you managed it all? I mean, I know it's such a cliche question, but it doesn't make it any less interesting. I don't think. How have you managed it? I mean, amazing, amazing career. I imagine the age gaps have made it probably a bit easier. <laughs> Yeah, whether that, that was obviously hard mentally, but you know, I think having them all close together makes it hard, doesn't it, when you're trying to build your career? But how has it been for you? Yeah, I don't know if it is, by the way, easier when they're big age gap because they have such different needs that sometimes you're like, wow, it's an ongoing gift of like the sleepless nights I get through one and then the next one's not sleeping. So it does feel like you just continue in this world. The analogy I use, I feel like I've been a, in a blender on high speed because I took for granted when you go to the office, you get that separation. And as much as I'm a big champion of blended worlds, it's so blended that there's nothing left, I think, for kind of the me time, the thinking. And I think that's been hard. And now I'm trying to find carve out time, whether it's really early in the morning, whether it's going for a run or just having time to focus and think about work rather than just rushing from meeting to meeting through VC or rushing because the kids are coming in and out. So I think that was that has been my learning, actually. And to be clear, there's been lots of positives. Like I know I cherish the fact that if I've got a 10 minute gap between meetings, I run down and give my one year old a cuddle and it's amazing and I love mm. it. Mm. But equally, I think as a working mum, it's that you forget you really got to be kind to yourself because if you've got nothing left in you, then you can't give it back to, to your job and your kids. So it's really important to 
to keep something back for yourself. And have you had much, I feel like women often apologise or feel like they can't admit to having help along the way. And I remember the very, very start of my career, my sister-in-law, who's very successful, saying she went to a talk with Belinda Earl and she said, just invest in help as much as you can, as early as you can, and as much as it hurts cost-wise. And I remember the days of running home because if I was late, we'd have to pay the nanny for another hour and (laughs) that was not in the budget. Like, you know, and it does get easier. You know, have you had a lot of help along the way? I think it's it's helpful for people to sort of hear the realities of how people have navigated that side of things. Yeah, and I don't think enough women talk about it, to your point, actually, because no. I once said to a very successful business leader, give me the tips, like, how much help do you have? I, I need logistics. Yeah. And she laughed, but it was true. And of course, I've had help. I'm very lucky. We live like 10, 15 minutes away from family. So I've always had that support network, which I know a lot of people don't if they've kind of moved mm. to London. And then, yes, I have help. I've had, obviously, nanny now with three kids. We're lucky we do have a lady that lives with us that kind of helps between the house and the kids. But the truth is, I think, you know, no one juggles at all. That That's a fact. We're all human beings. There's only so much capacity we have for anything. Yeah. But what I have learned to do is think about my non-negotiables. So like uh, for me, you know how people go, I rush back for bath time. I actually don't like bath time and I'm okay to say oh, that now. I me hate too, Claire. I hate <laughs> bath time. I've never liked bath time. I, I don't get it. Whereas, uh, do I love reading a story at bedtime to the girls? Do I love taking them to the park, the playground on Sunday morning or school pickup? I, for some bizarre reason, I yeah. think that's important that the school sees they me at pickup. They just love it. Yeah, yeah. occasionally you've got to be there. I'm, st- yeah. I'm struggling in lockdown because... I feel like it's harder to get everything done. I feel like my pickups have been worse than ever since lockdown, actually, which is a shame. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It means so much to the children when you pick yeah. them up, doesn't it? So I've got better at knowing my non-negotiables. And I think that's made yeah. me okay with having help. Whereas before, I wasn't raised with a mum that had help. It was just mm. that we all, they, she just did it all and my dad mm. did it all. So I think for me, it took me a long time to come to terms with accepting I needed help. I'd love to hear more about Snap and the business you mentioned the IPO which I think was a few years ago now wasn't it yes Um, I mean it is a massive business and there's a lot of people I suppose my age maybe listeners who don't use it or didn't grow up with it but I mean it's absolutely huge and I think for those people that didn't grow up with it like me I'm 40 I've never ever ever used it so I think a lot of people listening if they're my age will probably agree they don't really understand that Can you talk to us a bit about it, the size of it, how the business works? It's probably worth me saying kind of, I suppose, what it is, because I think sometimes if you haven't used it very much, it's understanding, you know, how it's different. So you yes, may have how heard is it our... different from Insta and Facebook and yeah, exactly. So first of all, you won't hear us refer to ourselves as a social media. You'll hear us talk about Snap um, Inc. First of all, is the company because as the company grew, what we did was we separated Snapchat, which is the app. With then we've got Spectacles, which is our sunglasses with built-in video camera, and then Lens Studios, which is our software platform, and then equally we also have Bitmoji, which is sort of the avatar that people basically create themselves. So we, oh, we it's grow- Bitmoji you. I didn't it know is that. indeed. Mm. So as we grew, it made sense. And then when you think about Snapchat and why you, you won't hear us refer to being a social media company is because essentially we are a camera and messaging app. People come to Snap to communicate visually with friends and family. They're using short videos, images, augmented reality to kind of share their experiences or, you know, just communicate to their friends. It's very different. It's a far more closer platform in terms of, you know, you're talking 
to your close friends and family. And the other aspect of it that is very different that Bobby and Evan, our founders, set out to do from the beginning was to create something that felt closer to a conversation. So what I mean by that is um, when you send a snap a message, it disappears. If you think about it, like today, obviously, we're recording. So it does change the conversation as opposed to if you and I were sitting without recording. Like You do change what you say. And that was the whole mm. premise that you could be more, again, your authentic self. And you know, there's no public likes or comments. So there isn't this pressure to be someone you're not. And it's far more about just talking in the way that feels natural and authentic to you. And it's still growing massively as a business I mean how is it and how are you finding the competition like TikTok because I mean I imagine you know that in terms of age and product you know there are a lot of similarities how do you deal with that and what's the future for Snap? We are continuing to have really healthy growth. So based on our recent earnings, we grew our audience by 18% year on year. So like a really positive, like we've got 249 million people that use the platform every single day, which is extraordinary. So when you obviously referred to, to TikTok, there's no denying that TikTok have built something very exciting, but it is different to Snapchat. If you think about what I just said, Snapchat's a place where you're really connecting with your kind of close friends, expressing yourself, but you can also, people also come to Snapchat chat for broader than just messaging you know we talk about being a platform so within our app you've got uh, messaging that I've touched on but then you've got discover where we've got a lot of premium content with uh, well-known brands thinking of sky news telegraph those type of brands and then we've got uh, what we call snap map which is um, almost like an interactive personalized map that your friends are on and you can see content in your local area we've also got games we've got minis within uh, which is like a shared experience within uh, the messaging side so when you refer to tiktok you know it's people come to snap for a lot of different reasons where if you think about tiktok you know people are going there to kind of look at a feed of user-generated content so it's very hard to make a comparison because they're ultimately different reasons why you'd use them so it sounds like there's there's a lot of arms to snap um i was going to say does the revenue come from discover or that was my knowledge of it coming from but you've mentioned games so i imagine there's revenue there you've mentioned local ads i mean if i was to ask you the question where does the revenue come from i mean i'm sure you'd say it's lots of things yeah predominantly though you know the one thing all ladders back to is advertising our revenue is mainly through advertising and i think one thing we did very early on that was different of course we had the benefit of hindsight of kind of being later to launch our business than some of the other platforms out there but we were very adamant about the fact that advertising needed to be additive to our community's experience as opposed to you know on some platforms advertising can feel like a bit like a tax like you have to to see an ad before you get to do something and we were really adamant that it should feel native to the platform so the formats that our our community play around with feel very akin to kind of the advertising formats and that's something we really focused on and one other area that's really fascinating is augmented reality so because our app opens to the camera and having that camera first approach like has allowed us to really be a company that you know scales augmented reality because the problem with a lot of you know a very a lot of cool tech out there it's not being used widely but with us you know 75% of our daily active users that 249 million 75% of them are using augmented reality every day so that's allowed us to to, to kind do of, what 
So it could be a combination of using like a face lens to just be funny with it to sort of entertain their friends. It could be just a lens playing with their bitmoji. They're using it to really drive their creativity and express themselves. And and from a branding point of view, it becomes really powerful, particularly in the world of COVID, where, you know, we launched a product called Try On, where Gucci enabled through a lens, people could try on a a Gucci trainer. So you think Essie recently, obviously L'Oreal Essie, launched where you could try on different Essie nail varnish colors so you get a sense of like how it could become really useful in people's mm. lives and it's not just about uh, being playful but actually becomes even more than utility more like you know it becomes commerce so have you seen usage increase massively as a result of covid the usage has always been pretty high just because we have so much engagement around augmented reality but what covid is doing no surprise is accelerating that commerce side because i mean what better opportunity for brands than to put allow people that their customers to try on their products and i mean gen z well they're a very different generation <laughs> and very creative they're interested in the environment they you know i think they have a very different drive to other generations how do you see them different? I mean, I guess they've grown up with technology in a different way. Every generation just gets smarter and smarter and it becomes more and more in your kind of genes, doesn't it? But how do you use all of that to your advantage? And yeah, what do you see from Gen Z in terms of what they want from the future? I'm sure there are brands listening thinking, God, how do I appeal to that customer? Because they do want different things. They want experiences, they want products and events used to be the big drive didn't they for that kind of generation but now that we're obviously having a challenge with events because of covid so yeah interested on your insights around gen z if you take it to brands the simplest way of breaking that down actually is this generation don't just want to buy a product they want to know how it's made where it's come from that is their mentality they are very self-assured in a really positive way in the sense they know who they are and they're very accepting of differences and I think they're a really exciting generation and I hope I know there's been a lot of negative press around opportunity but I feel very optimistic because they do have the right ingredients to succeed in a world post-covid with digital acceleration because this generation that this is all they've known and you layer on to that with their sorts of being kind of confident with self-expressing them, like expressing themselves. And that's why I think Snap's had so much success that we've been enabling them to be able to be their authentic selves and it being creative and, and caring about the world. That's you know a big part why we launched Discover and we launched it with well-known, trusted brands, because I think this generation care to your point about the world and they want to be informed and i think they really care about where information comes from and And they can see through the bs can't they i mean they're 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 pretty savvy in that sense they really Uh, are they've had to be growing up in a world of social media you've also got a, a predominantly young i'm sure very dynamic workforce you've talked a bit about you know flexibility within the workforce which i think is so interesting and that kind of culture but it's a really tough time for young generations, for young workforces um, not going into the office. I mean, I think, you know, I've discussed with lots of people, I'm sure you have too, when you get to a certain level in your career. There's so many gains from working from home and for younger people too, but equally at a stage in your career when you want to be learning from you know, the more senior people that you're normally surrounded with and just having the buzz of working with colleagues, etc. How are you managing that? Because I think they're feeling the effects, aren't they? Totally. I think what this experience that has shown me is that whatever your circumstances, it's hard for different reasons. So you know, coming from my perspective, I was like, oh, if you're living on your own and that must be so like, 
amazing. But actually, that has its own complexities. And to your point, that generation really do want to be in the office, learning and sharing experiences with others. So one thing we've, we've really focused on, which I think a lot of companies have, and it's the right thing, is communication. Making sure people still feel connected and part of what you're doing as a wider team. I think that the challenge you have is, and I think every company is facing this, is that if you don't work directly with a particular individual, how do you get those moments that, you know, where your paths would cross in the office mm. outside? So we're very fortunate. The water cooler but, moments, as they yeah, say. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to avoid that, but yes, yeah, the water cooler moments. I'll use the cliche for you. <laughs> um, but I think for me, we are lucky at Snap. We've got a programme called Council that has originated from our founder, Evan's experience at school, where council was part of his school environment, whereby, you know, this sounds very kind of unusual, but just bear with me. We come together with a council facilitator that, you know, we've hired uh, people that are experienced um, and qualified people to do this. And we sit in a circle and we come together and we talk about different themes. But from outside of your, your team, you might have a team council. But the example, after this, I'm going on our parents and caregiver council where everyone on that call is a parent or a caregiver and we'll talk about it could be challenges it could be you know whatever the themes are that the council facilitator will use and ask and it's all confidential but what I love about it is particularly in times of COVID it's connecting me to people I'm not working with not in my meetings it could be from Mm. any part of the organization any level but the one thing on this council because it's a themed council of being a parent that's our connection and honestly and so the the topics are are parent related and of interest what are the other council themes it really varies we have a lot of erg groups so we tend to try and um, do some councils around those groups so people feel they can be part a sense of belonging as part of those groups we do leadership councils so i did a council where different people in parts of organization could ask me questions it's really powerful it really is and it's all about really listening to each other which obviously leads to empathy and even if you don't work with someone directly you start to understand if you're an engineer like Mm. i have a bit more empathy for what that challenge that person Mm. may be feeling but there's no business agenda it's it's about conversation I don't want to make you late for that council I've got a feeling you might be but I I want to ask you just one more question if I may how do you feel about your children and social media you've got an 11 year old daughter give me some counsel what do you do how do you feel does she have an Instagram account yet does she have a snap account when's the right time as the most senior person at snap uk as a mother can you leave us with some parting words on on how the hell we get through the teenage years with our children the first thing is um, world that we're in I wouldn't allow my daughter on it. She's she's 11. So like for me, she shouldn't be on it in the first place because it's age of 13 and above. Mm-hmm. So that for me is the first thing. I would say you can't class social media as all the same. And that's really important. So for me, my example, and I'm going to sound like I'm doing a sales pitch, which is not my intention. No, but on Snapchat, I know my daughter's who my daughter's friends with because she has to accept those friends. And if she's, you know, communicating, I liken that to the times after school when I'd be on the phone to my friend for an hour, even though we've seen each other all day. I remember her older brother in the background going, you've seen each other all day. That's no different. That is the equivalent. And that's just happening through, in my case, like Snapchat, right, with the mm. friends are snapping. I think it's really important that... Is it more detrimental to their health that they're not on the phone like I was on the phone I remember that it's so funny you say that my mother's <laughs> saying you've just been at school today why need you sit on the phone yeah. is it the same or is, is it because it's digital technology is that worse your brain than their brains I mean I'm no scientist so it's definitely okay. not common but I think it's important to think about 
our children are growing up in a different world. And for them, that is the same. Mm. I do think you have to have boundaries. So we do limit. Um, like I said, my daughter's not on social media, but don't get me wrong. She's still on screen time. And we absolutely limit that. And, and it's very personal. And I don't think that's a rule you have to decide as a parent what's right for your child. But we do limit it because I agree. I think I don't want them looking Could at you, Would you share what your limit is? Yeah, well, it, you're going to laugh. Like, So it depends. If she's had, um, on the whole, we try and in the weekdays, it's every other day for half an hour. And then we always try and stop at uh, seven. So then it's kind of reading time. So just calm. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously after homework. Mm. And at the weekends, it's more flexible. You know, we're equally like, we're a family of five. Like it's full on. Like you, yeah. you have to do what you have to do as well. I don't judge anyone. And I think, it, yeah. again, I, I sort of it's personal and that's why I don't like to share it that much because we're all different and our kids are all different but I do think you have to know what's going on I think as a parent it's on you as well to really educate yourself how platforms work so even though I don't work at some of those other platforms even ones I've never worked I go on there I have an account I look how they work so I make sure that I feel equipped and when the time comes and she can go on, I know how they work. You understand them, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important. It's no difference as a parent when you might go yeah. into your kid's bedroom back in the day and look in their room to see. It's the same thing. You have to be equipped to help support them and navigate this world. Claire, thank you. I feel like we're very aligned on a lot of things that we've discussed today. I've loved chatting to you. How interesting. We've covered so much. I'm really grateful for your time. And I need to get on to Snap and I need to properly understand that because I know that it's it's only around the corner for no, my children. That's it. Thank you so much for joining me. That's it for today. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe, leave us a comment and tell your friends to listen to. We'll be back soon. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.